0: The room was warm and clean, the curtains drawn. The two table lamps alight, hers and the one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey, fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come home from work. As the opening lines of Lamb to the Slaughter*. By Roll Dahl, short story we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about stories generally sometimes, well, they used to be banned. Now I'm just going to kind of talk about whatever the fuck interests me because I honestly miss doing this. I miss talking into a microphone about stories. I miss reading stories. Maybe every once in a while we'll do a longer book or something, but right now we're just going to talk about short stories about several little books of weird tales random shit from used bookstores and we're just going to go through them some of them we may know very well some of them i've never heard of or maybe they're the or maybe they're an example of a type of story maybe they're the your example maybe they're just the latest thing who knows we'll get into it as you heard up top we're talking lamb to the slaughter today by Roald Dahl. Let's get into who Roald Dahl is. We've covered him before. He, we did The Witches, I believe. I think we did James and the Giant Peach. We might have done a couple others. But he's just an interesting guy. I, I love him to death. We'll cover him. I'll go over his history. I don't remember how deep I went into it beforehand. I'm not going to go very deep into it today, but we'll give you the basics. He was born September 13th, 1916. and lendolph wills. If I said that wrong, well... Yeah. The name rolled. I was curious if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, It's Norwegian. Uh, it comes from the meaning famous ruler, which I thought was kind of a, I, I don't know, I just didn't know where the fuck that name came from or what it meant or what it had anything to do with anything. Mr. Dahl, he enlisted in the Royal Air Force in World War II. He flew as a fighter pilot and he was seriously injured in a crash in Lib- Libya. He served in Greece, Syria, and then did an assistant as an air attache in Washington, D.C., while he was also a spy for the British government, part of the uh, sort of Department of Ungentlemanly Warfare,
1: with Ian Fleming,
0: who wrote uh, James Bond books. And he also was in with Christopher Lee, the just amazing actor who... Yeah, I think most people know him as Saruman the White. If that's how you. If that's yeah, Saruman. Where you know, Lord of the Rings. You know him from that. He was Dracula. He's in a bunch of shit. Great guy. I love it. And yeah. put a metal album out at age like ninety three or some shit, right before he passed away. He was an amazing dude. But we're not talking about him. We're talking about his friend Roald Dahl. Um. While he was working in Washington, D.C., there's a novelist, C.S. Forrester, encouraged him to write about his most exciting RAF adventures the Royal Air Force, and he published several of them in the Saturday Evening Post. His first book, The Gremlins, was written for Walt Disney and kind of fell apart in 1943 when that came out. He wrote a bunch of adult fiction works, screenplays. I think he wrote the screenplay for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang one of ian fleming's books but he's best known for his darkly comic children's fiction if you're not aware i mean i mentioned two of them or james and giant peach the witches but also charlie and the chocolate factory *Willy wonka the fantastic mr fox the sequel to charlie and chocolate factory the great glass elevator which you see at the end of the gene wilder movie i don't remember if it's in the johnny depp version don't care the enormous crocodile the bfg and Matilda was his last work. Fortunately, he passed away age seventy four of a rare cancer of the blood, which I'm not going to try to pronounce. It's very, very long. Uh, on December, on November twenty third, nineteen ninety, in Oxford, and just an amazing life. Even if he was, I mean, there's reports he's, you know, he's an older guy. He's from a different time. There's probably a lot of bullshit out there that'll get him canceled and. Rightfully so, you shouldn't say shit like that anymore. But that doesn't take away from his accomplishments of just writing weird ass books that stuck around the collective consciousness. Now, this story itself, I brought up Ian Fleming a lot, because he's pretty much the reason it began. He knew that Dahl like doll liked horror, or at least the more disturbing stories. A lot of his even his adult fiction is pretty disturbing. And the quote comes out to, quote, Why don't you have someone murder their husband with a frozen leg of mutton? Which he then serves to the detectives who come to investigate the murderer. Which is this story. I mean, it's not, you know, the actual written words. It's about 4,000 words. But that's that's what happens. And it is a dark-ass story when you really get into it. And we will get into it in a minute. Uh, it was published in 1954 three in the New Yorker. Oh no, he was, he submitted it with a bunch of stories to the New Yorker. They are all rejected Harper's magazine in September, 1953 published it first where it, it took off. It was famous. Uh, it was adapted for an episode of Alfred Hitchcock presents and many, many other times. Cause it's just one of those, it's almost the tales from the crypt episode. You know, it's one of those like small, very, Tiny stories. It only really takes four or five people to really tell the whole thing. And technically, only yeah, you could probably get away with like four people telling this whole story. You had Mary, her husband, who's a corpse pretty quickly. Uh, the grocer and the police detective. Maybe throw in a couple more police detectives. but That's all there is. I read this story in middle school. Seventh grade. Don't remember the teacher's name. Remember... She watched me have an accident one time, like I fell off my bike and like scraped the shit out of myself and she was like, you better get home. That's all I remember about that teacher. (laughs) She's kind of an asshole. Actually, I believe, wait, no, I'm rolling back things. She was in charge of the Scholastic Book Fair and she was the one that tried to take a book away from me that I'd paid for, that I'd ordered. And it was one of those. It wasn't even on the shelf. Like I'd seen it in the catalog, the novelization for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie with Christy Swanson and um, whatever. And I think there was the picture on the back, the poster, if you've ever seen it, of a cheerleader's legs and she's holding the stake. I don't know what exactly this teacher objected to, but she wouldn't give me the damn book. I knew all the books had come in. I was waiting on that one, and I was like, "Why can't I get the book?" And she was like, "Well, no, you can't have it." So I went and told my mom, who was also a teacher there, and I was like, "She won't let me have the damn book." And then at recess, my mom called me over. I This has nothing to do with Lambda the Slaughter*. It's just a funny story. But she handed me the book, and was just kind of pissed, like, "Go take this." I don't know if she's pissed that the teacher wouldn't let her have the book, let me have the book, or. If it's just a dumbass book that she had to go to bat for. But my mom did that. Let me read whatever I wanted. And it was cool. And it was actually like in a quote unquote adult book. Not really, but you know. It wasn't My Teacher Ate My Brains or whatever else I was reading at that time. So yeah, I read this book. And I remember it, It made I read the story and it made an impression on me. Like I didn't remember who wrote it. I didn't remember the title. But I remembered that story where that woman fed the murder weapon to the cops. That, it was just ingenious. I always like murder mysteries and i like, you know, the dark stuff. So I thought that was, it was just, it just, it stuck in me. And now I, as I decided to revamp this and do short stories or whatever we're doing, I was like, I'll make that one my first. Holy shit. Roald Dahl wrote that. That's crazy. Like I had to do the random Google where you like, woman kills husband, frozen leg of lamp. You know, gets away with it. I don't know what the fuck I Googled, but it popped up and this is the story. So let's get into this story actually. We read at the top, Mary Maloney is waiting for her husband to come home. She's pregnant. She's a doting. She has his drink ready for him. She as soon as he walks through the door off his shift as a police officer. He's she's just Do you want your slippers? Do you want your paper? Do you want to sit down? Let's have, I haven't made dinner yet, but we're going out, right? Because it's their night to go out. And he's just aloof. He's just, no, I, I don't want it. I don't want anything. I don't want all of it. And it kind of, kind of boils around where she's just like, oh, I can, well, if you don't want to go out, we can, I can make something. I'll, I'll, I'll go get something right now. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Damn it. I'm going out to eat. Actually, he says that after, but he tells her something we don't really hear, quote. And he told her it didn't take long, four or five minutes at most. She sat very still through it all, watching him with a kind of dazed horror as he went further and further away from her with each word, unquote. So, yeah, she's just dazed. Whatever he's telling her, obviously their relationship is over. If there's another woman, however long this takes, four to five minutes at most, I don't know what he's explaining to her. I don't know what he's telling her, but it breaks their relationship completely. This is not a we can work this out situation. Whatever it's going on, he just breaks it completely. And this isn't like a, you know, you've said that thing in the relationship and the person goes, Oh my God, I can't believe you would say that. And then you have a long conversation and you talk. And because you're adults, you deal with it. But whatever he tells her this, well, they are done. And he's like, well, don't worry about it. You'll be looked after. And he's like, you know, I'm going out. And she's like dazed. As it says, she's just dazed horror. She's just not comprehending it. She's like, I'll go make dinner. And he's like, damn it, I'm going out. She goes in, she gets in the freezer, she gets the leg of lamb, she goes to cook, and yeah, and he's just the whole time, you know, I don't, I don't want dinner, I'm not, I'll be going out, I'm done. And He's just looking out a window, back to her, and she walks up, and she just knocks the shit out of him with that leg of lamb, like hard. And you gotta wonder what that state of mind, that, I don't know if it's a fugue state or what, where you just... It's that dazed horror meets anger. Just primal violence. Now there she is, pregnant. You know, doting. She gave her life to this man. And he's just going to end it all right there, right then. And he's a police officer. He can do whatever he wants. He'll be off doing his thing. And I actually kind of do want to Read the part where she knocks the shit out of him. Quote, At that point, Mary Maloney simply walked behind him without pause and swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could in the back of his head. She might as well hit him with a steel club. That part will come back later about the steel club how, you know, something was really hard. And if you've ever handled a piece of frozen meat, especially a leg of lamb, that sucker's huge. Yeah, it would have taken him out. Which also, you wonder why she decided to use the leg of lamb did she already decide when she went to go get the food i can't remember in the story i want to say she might have mentioned it but a leg of lamb's not a small bit and as you find out during the end of the story it takes a lot of people did she just choose that did she make up her mind we can find out in just a second it's quick like she's fast she knows what to do but before then Quote, she stepped back a pace, waiting. The funny thing was that he remained standing there for at least four or five seconds, gently swaying. I like that, too. I don't know why there's a stillness after her violent episode, after she's chosen to go get this piece of meat that's going to be hard as a rock. I wonder when she decided to hit him or if she even decided at all, if it was just she just took over. You know, she could have gone and probably gotten a ham or something out of the freezer that would have been easier to do. But nah, no, she grabbed that big piece of fucking meat and she clocked him with it hard. And then is almost stunned as he doesn't immediately drop. He just sort of stands there. I wonder what thoughts went through her head at that moment. But then he crashed to the carpet. The violence of the, quote, the violence of the crash, the noise. The small table overturning helped her bring her out of the shock. She came out slowly, feeling cold and surprised, and she stood for a while, blinking at the body, still holding the ridiculous piece of meat tight with both hands. All right, she told herself. So I've killed him. Again, there is a strange calculation here, where it's start and stop. He tells her supremely upsetting news. She goes, she picks up the piece of meat. She, he yells at her again. He comes, she comes back and just clocks him. No patience. It's very start and stop. We're dazed. We're in action. We're watching him sway. Pause again. And then crash. He's down. Boom. You know, this big guy probably, on the ra- on the ground, knocking over the table, and then again. She's calm. There's a ridiculous piece of meat in her hand. She's awakened almost, and then just thinks to herself again calmly. All right, it killed him. It's really good use of tension and this push and pull between action and reaction. I love it. And she just starts coldly putting together what she's going to do. And Dahl doesn't explain it out to us. He just kind of goes with it as she processes the murder. Oh, what happens to a murder? What happens to a murder of a police officer? What is going to happen to me? And then she starts coldly thinking, or then her thoughts waking up a little bit more. I'm pregnant. What do they do with pregnant people? Pregnant murderers, do they kill the baby too? Or do they wait until the baby's out and then kill me? What's going to happen? And through all this, she decides to cover it up. As if she hadn't already. I don't know. I think this is the first time she consciously decided to cover up the murder. Quote, It was extraordinary now how clear her mind had become all of the sudden. She began thinking very fast. As a wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murders with unborn children? Do they kill both mother and child? Do they wait until the tenth month? What did they do? Like, there's an uncertainty there, but the uncertainty ultimately leads her to, well, we've got to hide this. And it's got to be easy to hide this, because... This ridiculous piece of meat, as it's called, which I love that, that it's suddenly this murder weapon, this bludgeoning tool that hit like a piece of steel is now this goofy thing in her hands that, well, she was going to make dinner anyway, so she throws it in the oven. I don't know if she salts it or... Yeah, that's the part that was just like, huh, I wonder if she... I wonder how she prepared it. She did any kind of preparations to it i mean it's just a frozen piece of meat god knows how long it'll last i didn't even look up how long it takes to cook a piece of lamb i'm curious all right we're back apparently in this dig about three to four hours maybe five you know whatever so actually this story makes a whole lot more sense if you think about it And I wonder where ian fleming thought of that did he ever kill anybody with a piece of lamb or were they sitting around talking about would be an interesting way to kill somebody. What's the worst way you killed somebody? Well, there was this piece of lamb one time, beat the shit out of somebody with it, and there you go. I mean, obviously they would probably know about the cooking times back then. But anyway, so yeah, it takes about three to five hours. She puts that thing in the oven, she starts thinking about her alibi, and then starts, like, without, again, without telling the reader, us, what she's thinking about. She starts doing the performative actions. Oh yes. Well, he decided not to go out. I'm cooking a lamb and she's actually making it up as she goes, but she's not telling us who she's talking to until she starts putting together, you know, clothes to go out. And She grabs her bag and she goes out the back door, comes around, I think. And she goes to the doc and to the grocery store. Cause you know, that's how they did back in the day. They would buy the stuff fresh, especially if they were making dinner that night and making it for a couple of people. You know, you could make it for a couple of days. And she was supposed to go out that night. But she's not now. He's decided. She tells the grocer the whole thing. Even I think she gets a piece of cake. Yeah, so she's set up an alibi. She come, And then she makes her way home. She comes up to the front door. She goes in. And she sees her husband and she starts freaking out. Now, is this a calculated freak out? At some part, yeah. I mean, she planned to go to the grocery. She acted completely chill there. But yeah, she freaks out now because that's what you're supposed to do when you find your husband dead on the floor. Especially if you just stepped out to get some food. And then you come back and there he is, all dead. Dead and fucked and she calls the police he's dead who's dead Patrick Maloney not the Patrick Maloney the police officer yes come and the policemen come and they're all friends she knows all of them and they talk about her and uh, they ask her questions you know when did you do she's like I went to the grocery store and I came back and he's dead and they start looking around they're like holy shit where's the murder weapon they start looking around it's got to be a piece of metal right and Mary's just kind of sitting there almost in her own days and she offers them whiskey and they're like, no, they can't. But you have to wonder when she starts offering and talking to them, whether or not they, she's trying to distract them. She's trying to stop them from looking too hard. And there's also, maybe, maybe I'm just a little bit going to say there might be some Irish racism here with the Maloney's. And all the cops, because cops historically have been Irish in some way, at least in a lot of the old literature, and Roald Dahl would have known enough to lean on that a little bit, and offering them whiskey, offering them other stuff. But they look around. Anyway, I'm just saying, could be. After they make a search around the house, they don't find it, they don't find the murder weapon, and then she's... They're sitting there, you know, like, oh, that smells nice. And she's like, oh, God, the leg of lamb. Again, this has to have been, like, three to five hours later, when they're all just looking through all her shit, and she's just sitting there trying to fake it. And she points out, rightly, you've been working so hard. You've been looking around. Please. It's, you know, you work through dinner. Please eat. Eat something. And they're like, no, no, ma'am, we can't. One of our men is dead. We have to find the killer. And he's like, I've. I made this for him and he'll never eat it. Or she says something to that effect. And they're all like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Why not? Let's do that. And she sits by, she doesn't eat and they, they're talking about the case and, oh yeah, it's gotta be some kind of whatever, you know, some, some piece of steel, maybe like a, a railroad jack or something. I don't know what the fuck they said. But yeah, it's got it in it, maybe he took it with him. Who knows? And he's got plenty of enemies as a police officer. And I just love the ending of this story. Quote, one of them belched. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. Probably right under our noses. What do you think, Jack? And in the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. Unquote. And that's where the story ends. With the cop sitting there, being like, "I bet it's right here, and we just can't see it," and then she just starts laughing her ass off, and then ne- or giggling, I guess she's quiet about it. But that's where we end with her just laughing while these men stuff their faces with all this lamb that they've made, that she made, that she killed her husband with. And it's it's just a really good ending. I love this ending because it's ambiguous. I mean, obviously she's probably going to get away with it. There's no murder weapon. There's no real motive. Unless somebody comes. Who knows? Maybe he does have a mistress. Maybe he had something else. Maybe he told a friend that I just can't stand living with Mary anymore. Who knows? But that's the end of the story. And you have to love this story as one of those. How far can you push someone? Like what? What can another person take? And how much can you take from someone else and then discard them without them reacting strongly, I guess is the best way to say that. But yeah, I love this story. It is it is genuinely a classic because it is very simple. It, like you said, you can boil the whole thing down into one sentence. But it encapsulates, encapsulates so much of... I don't know, like just life in general in that era where the men were these macho guys, but they, you know, they'd come home and the women's doted on them all, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it also then has a flip where, nah, she just straight murdered that dude. <laughs> when he turned out, she turned on. And that she had, we don't get anything about her in her life. We don't get anything outside of that she was devoted to him. And then he threw her away. So she threw him away. But we do know that she paid attention. She knew all about his police work. He obviously didn't know enough about her. And that's where we're going to end. Uh, if you can, help us out. We're still on Patreon. Patreon.com slash library. I'm hoping to put these out once a week. And get maybe back some of the numbers that I lost during our last couple lost years. And if I can get up to the point where I'm making enough that's sustainable for the website I'll take all the ads on the website I'd love that it's only about 200 bucks a year and if I can make that from the ad I mean right now the ads are supporting the website staying up that's the only reason probably the website is still up honestly outside of I just kind of like it you can follow us on band library on all the socials whatever I'm most active on twitter you can contact me contact band library there's a contact on bandlibrary.com. Again, help us out on the Patreon if you can. One dollar a month. We'll get you everything in our back catalog. Who knows how far back that goes now. It's at least ten years old now. There's some goofy shit on there and probably some stuff I should take down. But, you know, what it is. Uh, Life is everything you've made. And whatever's left is what you are, I guess. I don't know if that means anything. And it doesn't matter if it does. Because I'm going to close out right now and stop rambling to you nice people wasting your time thank you for listening stay in read a book Music, Dances and Dames by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0